Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, for years now, we've all been hearing that Pittsburgh is a mecca for technology, for innovation, for discovery. It's kind of our thing. But as the saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm with Carnegie Mellon's Martin Sapp to talk about the way we use AI, why we should be nice to our robots, and if world domination isn't quite on the table yet, what should maybe be scaring us instead. It's Tuesday, June 27th. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. Do the machines have consciousness, like anywhere, any of them? As far as any of the machines go that we've seen today, they don't. Um, and what we you know, I will not pronounce myself on like, will they ever have intelligence or or, or consciousness? Um, because there is a possibility that like one day they might, but it's definitely not in our lifetime. Just writing that off all at once. Not, not going to happen for us. Not going to happen for us. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the, the machines that we see today are exhibiting like illusions of intelligence and illusions of consciousness in a lot of ways. What does what does an illusion look like? What does that mean? Yeah, so I think the the interesting thing that we've seen with recent models like ChatGPT, hopefully people are are familiar with um, that one, is that you know, they're producing language um and so they're producing human communication uh like, like or they're producing language which is the medium that humans use to communicate. And so I think we're just biologically inclined or evolutionarily inclined to recognize language as an inherently human thing. And so our brains are a little bit confused when we see something that's not human producing language. And so we think it's human-like all of a sudden. So the computer speaks to me in my language. So I maybe ascribe like, I don't know, human characteristics to it the same way. Like if my dog raises its eyebrow the right way, I'm like, oh, you get me. You get me. Exactly. When your dog is cheesing, you're like, it's smiling. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> it's actually just mirroring what you do because you smile at your dog typically. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. So do the machines then have feelings? Like, can can we can we hurt a computer's feelings? We cannot. Feel free to yell at your computer <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> Although I will say, so there are some, there's some interesting arguments there about um, sort of like establishing patterns. So there's an argument to be made that like, you should still be nice to like your Alexa or something like that because, and you should say please and thank you because like, it, otherwise, if you interact with these systems too much during your day-to-day -day life, like you might just forget to like be polite to humans as well because you're sort of, not thinking like it's it's hard to make that distinction in your like sort of really habitual behaviors if that I, makes sense i don't know about you but i really struggle in my car to not be like alexa what's the weather just because like i'm used to asking her questions all the time now yeah it's useful to, to have would you say thank you only sometimes and i feel weird when i do it is that okay that is okay <laughs> i'm here to tell you it's okay for you to say thank you to your robots well, let's get to your field of study. Um, I read that you are in a specific field of AI called natural language processing. That's what right. does that mean? So the easiest way to interpret it is it just means AI that's based on text. Um, okay. So I deal with 
um, yeah, just written things. Uh, some people would count uh, sort of speech-related AI, like Alexa's and stuff like that, as also natural language processing. Um, I, I don't work on the speech part. I just work on like the sort of written text part, uh, but definitely have colleagues that work on speech. And so it just means like I want to understand language with um, AI systems and with machine learning systems. So just understand like, you know, what kinds of patterns do people exhibit in their language when they're talking about certain things versus other things. Um, and it also means I'm interested in developing language-based AI tools to help people do their tasks. Um, so one thing that I'm really interested in is like understanding inequality and like how, you know, biases and stereotypes are perpetuated in language. And uh, while there's like sort of intellectual curiosity, there, there's also a practical application of like helping content moderators, um, yeah. people who have to sift through online content and like flag things that are bad or or like generate sort of uh, responses to to bad stuff. Um, so that's kind of what I do. Chat GPT must annoy the heck out of you. Then it was um, in what way? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I guess my understanding of it is, and please correct me if this is wrong, um, is that it combs Google like from a set point. And it regurgitates the information it can find based on like a specific query, which is fine, except the Internet is full of junk, like a lot of junk. So it, it stands to reason that some of those stereotypes or, you know, missing pieces could like come back up if you're asking ChatGPT for some like recommendations, for example, which this show did. Oh. Um, there was one query that we did, which was like, what's the best neighborhood to live in Pittsburgh? And it only listed like predominantly white, wealthy neighborhoods. Aha. Because those are the ones making lists on the internet. Oh, I have so much to say about that. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I've yeah, I've definitely um, studied that phenomenon a lot. Um, so one of the one of the big pieces of work that I did in like 2020 before ChatGPT came out, but like there was already sort of smaller, more bare bones versions out from OpenAI. Um, we basically studied like how likely is it that these systems are going to spit out something toxic, some misinformation or things like that. And we found that like some of the precursors to ChatGPT were specifically trained on like um, data that was like selected to be good by Redditors, um, <laughs> which that it says a lot. Could go already. well, could go terrible. Exactly. Yeah, so the the creators decided like, you know, what's a quick and easy way to get a lot of like documents from the web? Oh, let's, you know, but like not have like, you know, bad stuff like porn or no, not suited for work stuff. And so they were like, let's just um let's just use like posts that uh, are on Reddit that have like high karma. Um so basically have been upvoted more than they've been downvoted. Um and you know, they didn't really filter out specific subreddits. So they definitely included subreddits like, uh, you know, that have been quarantined or banned since uh, for being super misogynistic or for spreading conspiracy theories or things like that. So there's a lot of factually incorrect stuff that went into the precursors. And so it's not, it's very likely that a lot of factually correct and biased stuff comes out from uh, ChatGPT as well. And I will say, your assessment or like your description of like it sort of reads Google is like is kind of true, but yeah, it fix definitely it, please. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, like the way to think about it is like Google at least can return like the source document, right? Like Google, if you search something there, it'll just give you a bunch of web pages and you can go sift through it. I mean, it might give you like a little blurb at the top sometimes, like it does that now, but right. like ChatGPT is only the blurb and it cannot attribute anything. It cannot say where it got. Yeah, it, it doesn't from. cite its sources, which like right. as a journalist is infuriating. Yeah, and it may even. Uh, if you ask it to cite its sources, it may even fake those sources. I've heard about that. Like that, there's yeah. been like reports of it pulling like quote unquote reported information that never existed. 
Yeah, you can ask it. I mean, I like to ask it about myself to see like, you know, what does it know about me? Oh, that's it, smart. Thinks, I like it. Yeah, I'm like a, I think it thinks I'm a professor uh, in the Netherlands because that's, uh, my name is Dutch. And so it just associated that there. Um, it still thinks I, I work at the University of Washington, which is where I did my PhD. So like it's outdated. It's just, yeah, it's very clear that you can quickly find some like mistakes there. And like Google is up to date. ChatGPT is not, right? So yeah. that's one big difference. And then the second difference that I was going to say is like, it's learned so much from reading documents on the web, um, but it's also learned the extremely pervasive patterns that are present in like those documents on the web. And so what this means is that like, it typically more so than a human will extrapolate stereotypes because stereotypes are kind of like shortcuts um, like shortcut associations between people and um, attributes between groups and, and attributes. And so those are very easy to like latch onto. But like we as humans know that like, you know, stereotypes are a simplification that is not exactly how people are. And like, you know, everyone's an individual and stuff like that. But like the the example of like me being like a professor in the Netherlands is a, is a kind of a, a, a shortcut association of like anyone named Martin with two A's um, for your listeners who don't know that my name is spelled M-A-A-R-T-E-N. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyone named Martin with two A's is Dutch and thus, you know, works in the Netherlands. And that's not true. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. Well, on the flip side, is there anything that you think technology like ChatGPT, I know that's just like the one that we're all mostly familiar yeah. with now, um, <laughs> does really well that, you know, it's succeeding at? Yeah, I mean, it, it is really good at a lot of things, I will say. And so like, you know, we like to, because the uh, companies are doing a good job at hyping their tools, like as academics, we have to sort of like be the dissenting voice a lot of the time. But like, you know, we have to acknowledge that these tools are much better than like what was previously possible before. We're here to embrace your positivity if you have it to give. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that it's useful for is like things like paraphrasing. Like I, I tr personally, I trust it a little bit more when you give it a, a, a thing and that you wanted to rephrase it or summarize it. I think that is a little bit like it's a little bit better than if you just ask it like a very short question and you ask it like, you know, explain this to me or like, who is this person? And then it has to like produce a lot of text like that's where like the errors and the likelihood of like, um, 
factual hallucinations, as we call it, um, are more likely. But like, I think it's pretty good at like paraphrasing things, at summarizing things. Although all of these still have risks of like, um, you know, not being faithful to like what you gave it. But it's very good at that. It's pretty good at um, translating things. Uh, also, um, it it can help you generate sort of like more creative things because you know you can use the hallucinations as like to your advantage right like be like oh you know what if my protagonist now was like from the netherlands or something you know like you're like okay let me change my story um (laughs) but yeah so it depends on like what your use case is but it's been pretty good at like some of the the things that i'm interested in so i'm also interested in like studying how conversations unfold between humans and um you know how we can make ai systems like better respond to conversations and so these systems are pretty good at like just kind of chit-chatting conversations but again you have to remember none of it is real because like these systems don't have feelings they don't have any experiences they don't have any like they don't have a background and so everything they're doing is like hallucinating yeah um, well, in your role as a professor, is there anything that you think, you know, like a topic or idea or a development that you would advise a student maybe not to touch, not because it's not an interesting exploration, but because like the outcropping of what could follow it would maybe, you know, have too many implications? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I think one of the things that I'm worried about these days is um, like systems that are meant to be like humans and or replace humans. Okay. Um, and so, like, I think I'm all for, like, developing technology that enhances human productivity and, you know, helps us do our menial tasks better. Um, but one, the development of that technology should involve the people who are ultimately going to use them. Um, so this is something that we talk about in the ethics of AI space a lot, which is, like, stakeholders who are the people who you know, who are going to be affected by the design of your technology. And then the problem is that like, you know, AI doesn't live in a vacuum. We, you know, we implement it in today's society. And the truth of the matter is like the today's society, especially in America, does not have a lot of good social security uh, nets for people who are displaced because of like some reason in their labor. And so that uh, poses a big challenge. Like, you know, you can make this technology and like, it's great, but what are what are the people going to do who were doing the job before you know and one of the big stories around that is like there was um i think it was like a a mental health or like an eating disorder um helpline that had people you know that were helping uh, people who were struggling with eating and um they decided because it was cheaper that they were going to fire everyone and make chat gpt um like you know respond to to their users i actually because i think they were unionizing The, the laborers were unionizing and so they were like well in this case okay we're going to fire all of you. And immediately, like after a day, it like went super awry and the bots were telling them to like, I think, stop eating or something like that. It was just like, just eat less or something that's like exactly not what you want to tell someone who is experiencing like uh, eating a disorder uh, flare up. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think it's possible for our government to keep up with some of this stuff? So it's interesting because the government, I think, should be doing a better job and they're like working on it. Um, The U.S. government is definitely behind on this kind of regulation compared to like the European government, for example. Hmm. Um, And even um, I know that a lot of times people use uh, Chinese government as a boogeyman, but like they were faster at implementing some sort of labor labor protections for AI um, compared to the U.S. as well. So um, it's definitely, yeah, something that the U.S. is, I think, behind on. 
partly if I can muse a little bit about why I think that is, is like the US has always sort of um, opted for like, you know, the free market let it just like, let's build it. And you know, the best thing will emerge and stuff like that, which has led a really a lot of innovation um, in the US specifically. But also, I think we're at the stage where like, there's a lot of risks around this stuff. And we should really think about like how to regulate it. Well, talking about risk, you know, there's this question that I always really appreciated um, hearing developers and AI makers answer. And I'm curious your take. Is there anything that you think we should be afraid of or that, I don't know, keeps you up at night? I think the things that I'm scared about is the lack of understanding from the lay public of how these tools work. And thus the possibility for like the people who do know and the people that are in power to sway people like lay people's opinions on these topics just based on fear. Um, And so like concretely, I'm really scared about this like weird movement that has been happening from within and with like and outside the tech industry of the sort of fear mongering that's been happening around this question of AI destroying humanity. I saw there was like an open letter about that, comparing it to pandemics and nuclear war, which just seems like a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot and it's a distraction. It's a distraction from like actual problems that are happening today. Um, But, um, you know, there's a lot of problems around like already equity and, and issues now. And this idea that like sometime in like the far distant future, an AI system might try to like kill humanity honestly my hot take is like if it's that intelligent then sure then you've won you know survival of the fittest <laughs> i mean if we're imagining like a west world situation in the future like why would so many smart people sign on to something like that yeah stop working on it then <laughs> pivot martin Sapp is an assistant professor at carnegie mellon university thank you so much for educating us yeah of course A little more news before you go. The penalty phase of the synagogue shooting trial started this week. The jury is going to decide whether the man who shot and killed 11 Jewish worshipers in 2018 is eligible for the death penalty and whether he'll receive it. And take care of yourself because this penalty phase is expected to last up to five weeks. Starbucks workers locally and across the country are striking after the baristas union accused several stores of removing rainbow flags and a bunch of pride decor. The Pittsburgh Union Progress reports that our local baristas here are striking over the decor, yes, but also the company's refusal to engage in good faith bargaining with its organized workers. They still don't have a contract. And the former president is back in the political game. Donald Trump is facing 37 felony counts for mishandling classified documents, obstructing justice, and making false statements. But more than half of Pennsylvania's House Republican delegation are endorsing him for president again. Trump officially announced on Friday that he is running for president in 2024. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please tell someone, leave us a nice review, a five-star rating. We always appreciate it. And you can find us on social. We're at CityCastPGH. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon.
Does this mean that your family, when you go home for like Thanksgiving or Christmas now, has like some concept of what you do for a living? Yeah, my grandma, who just turned 90 in March, was asking me about ChatGPT. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's the most tech literate 90 year old I know. <laughs> I mean, it runs in the family, I guess. 